Next up on the Renaissance Man podcast, we have award-winning actor, poet, and musician, Malcolm Jamal Warner. Coming up, I talked to Malcolm about how he looks back at his time on The Cosby Show, what it was like being a part of the hip-hop scene in the 80s, and how he feels about reinventing his career as a spoken word artist. Up next, Malcolm Jamal Warner. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. A show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. And for everybody that's been supporting us since day one, you know this show is one of one. So be sure to share this podcast and column with your friends, coworkers, partners, siblings. Share it with someone that you know could use some of this. Good old-fashioned tofu. This week's theme is Black Music Matters. June is Black Music Month. And on this show, I've talked to so many musical legends and artists and producers like MC Light, E-40, Ja Rule, Nas, and so many more. So to celebrate our music, our culture, that's not just about rapping or doing R&B. It's graffiti, how we walk, how we talk. It's DJing. It's a lifestyle. I want to give you my top five albums to listen to this month. Number one, Marvin Gaye. What's going on? What's going on? Number two, public, public, Public Enemy, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Number three, X-Clan, to the east, black words. Number four, Kendrick Lamar, Temple Butterfly. Number five, Queen Latifah, all hail the queen. And I'm going to give you a bonus one that I just remembered because I said on this show each episode, Goody Mob, Soul Food. Those are my recommendations. There's so many artists out there that have made an impact on the culture, on artistry, that have wild fans for years and decades. But I wanted to make sure I highlighted those five plus a bonus album for you to check out. Like my next guest, Malcolm Jamal Warner. And like you, I mentioned, I grew up watching him on the Cosby show. He's reinvented himself over four decades of his career. Now into a spoken word artist whose albums have been nominated for several Grammys. Coming up, I talked to Malcolm Jamal about what it was like navigating fame at a young age, how he approaches music as an independent artist and how his life is fuller than it's ever been. Up next, Malcolm Jamal Warner.
My next guest is the definition of a multi-hyphenate. Emmy award-winning actor, Grammy award-winning musician and poet whose career has only flourished since his breakout role as Theo Huxtable on The Cosby Show. His career spans almost four decades and my brother's showing no signs of slowing down. And by the way, he recently starred in the Fox Anthology series Accused, which explores the gray areas of the justice system. It has just been renewed for a second season. It is my honor to welcome the talented Malcolm Jamal Warner to the show. What's <laughs> up, brother. family? My brother, good to see you, man. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan. I know a, a, a ton about your journey, so I'm really excited to have you on the show. Can you tell us what it was like for you growing up in Jersey City and when you figured out you wanted to pursue acting as a kid? Yeah, well, so I, I left Jersey when I was about five. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, my, my, my parents uh, separated. My mom moved back to California. My dad moved to Chicago. So I pretty much grew up not so much in Jersey City, but between Los Angeles and Chicago. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my, my father was very big on, uh, on, on, on cultural expression, artistic expression. Um, you know, my dad went to Lincoln. Uh, he went to Lincoln with Gil Scott Heron and Brian. Oh, wow, crazy. I got a picture of him up in the crib. Whoa. Oh, yeah, yeah. So and then my dad, my dad went to Lincoln because Langston Hughes went to Lincoln. Wow. So um, I like literally came out of the womb <laughs> listening to, you know, to Gil and and the last poets. And, you know, um, my first name is Malcolm Jamal. So my dad named me after Malcolm X and Ahmad Jamal. Uh, so he was just really big on on making sure I was steeped in the arts, but also in a, uh, a a sense of you know from whence I've come, right? From whence I came, if you will. Uh, so I was like, you know, like, I'm being six, seven years old before taking any acting class or anything. I told my parents that I was going to either be a famous uh, poet, a famous actor, or a famous mm -hmm. basketball player. Mm -hmm. Uh, so don't ask about my game, uh, <laughs> ball game at least. Uh, so you know I got two out of three, but you know the the arts was you know has has always been a big part of my life, and I, I attribute a lot of that to my dad. And obviously, you've been a part of so many great television shows. So you're you're a producer, you're an entrepreneur, and for me, I call those like championship rings when you walk down the street and somebody calls you one of your characters or names one of your shows. Yeah. And obviously you have been a part of one that went diamond, so to speak. And that's the Cosby show. So how do you look back on your time and its legacy? Not it's been more than 30 years since it's ended. Yeah, man, look, um, we are, you know, despite what's going on today, all of us, uh, every last one of us are proud to have been a part of that show, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and the the success of that show, like it wasn't just a popular show, right? It was mm -hmm. a show that you know had such an uh, a profoundly uh, significant impact on America, on 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 white America and Black America. Absolutely. Um, so for me, it was a great 
it was an incredible experience because I got to, you know, we shot in New York. So I spent, you know, those formative years in New York, um, you know, on this number one television show in the world, but we weren't in Hollywood. Mm, right? Right. We didn't Good have point. the Hollywood thing. We're in New York where, right. you know, heads don't care who you are. No doubt. Right? So no you, can't, you can't be in New York trying to play like, yo, you can't do that. So no business cards. No, not right. <laughs> <laughs> so there was it was great to so so be able to walk through New York like that um, and enjoy you know the the celebrityhood, if you will. But there was also a responsibility, uh, you know, uh, a self-imposed responsibility mm -hmm. that came with that because I understood that I was not just walking through life and I was not just a reflection of my own mother and father, but I was a reflection of Mr. Cosby. I was a reflection of everything that uh, the show stood for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had, uh, you know, I, I placed self-imposed boundaries. No doubt. Just because I knew, uh, I knew what I was representing when I was walking through life. And being extremely talented, and like, as you mentioned, that show being so groundbreaking, what was it like for you to watch how that really changed the landscape of not only television, but how we were viewed and movies were shot and the family dynamics and just childhood te intelligent young people that we got a chance to watch grow up in front of us. Yeah, man, it was a uh, it was a, a a wild ride, man. And you know, I look back and um, you know I can say uh, uh, you know without arrogance uh, that you know I was the dude for that job. No doubt. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that was my like like yeah, I was I was meant to be in that role. Mm -hmm. um, I was meant to be that representative, you know, if you will. Um, but it was, you know, I remember when the show first came out, you know, we had uh, like black people talking about, man, that show is not realistic. Black people don't really live like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, mind you, I'm getting fan letters, you know, by the thousands of kids saying, thank you for the show. My dad is a doctor. My mom is a lawyer. Yes. Thank you for representing. No doubt. And so there was also that um, that education that white America and black America also got because, you know, the the people of Cliff and Claire's generation were often the first people in their family to even go to college. Correct. So their parents were going to make sure they were doctors and lawyers. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing about, you know, the way the world works, it's like nothing gets legitimized until it's on TV. Correct. So the black middle class, which has always been in existence, uh, was finally legitimized because of that show. Uh, so to be able to uh, be a part of the thing that changes the way uh, uh, the entire world looks at us. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that was, there's, there's a sense of, of, of pride, um, definitely pride and also gratitude for being able to be uh, instrumental in that. Just so you know, you have brothers like me from Detroit to Chicago, like your father's from Atlanta, all across the world, stomping for you, riding for you, appreciating what you was doing for yourself and for the culture. And I can't lie, as somebody who loves rap music, 
as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of hip hop. One of the greatest days I recall of yours actually wasn't on the Cosby show. Is when I saw you in Funky Beat video. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Yeah, man. Talk to me about that. Yeah, With Houdini. Like what I'm talking about, like the ride. Um, the ride was just so dope. Like I have literally, I've literally watched everybody come up. Mm -hmm. I've watched everybody on their come up. Um, and again, I think one one of the biggest blessings. Uh, you know, uh, personal blessings and takeaways for me uh, on that show was because the show, you know, out the box was number one. Um, I, you know, I've been to where uh, I've been to a place where everybody's trying to get to. Yeah. Right. So, um, so my life, so I, I didn't spend my life on that grind trying to get to a number one spot. Hmm. Uh, because I got to experience that number one spot and understand what it is, what the reality of it is, and be able to to understand early on. Well, you know, it's not you know as cracked up as people think it is, hmm. right? Hmm. So it allowed me to um, have a sense of a sense of perspective, right? But not be on that grind like I gotta get, I gotta get, I gotta get. Where hmm. you see so many so many people's grind is and. Um, you know, to get to the top, people are, especially in the entertainment industry, uh, people are quick to uh, compromise themselves, mm. quick to sell their souls, right? right? So I feel very fortunate not to uh, have to have that experience. Um, and like I said, like watch every, like, you know, I've met most of the people I've wanted to meet. I've met people, one of my favorite stories, man, uh, Crush Groove. Woo, classic. Man, the Crush Groove premiere. I'm walking into the theater, and there's this, this cat, right, you know, a little taller than me. He got this powder blue uh, Adidas sweatsuit on, got this powder blue uh, 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 Kango, and he's like, yo, Malcolm and Jamal Warner, what's up? My name is LL Cool J. I'm Ooh. in the pool here. Yo, one day I'm gonna be as famous as you. Watch, look out for me. Wow, <laughs> that's, dumb. that's dumb. right, 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 man. Crazy. Uh, one of my favorite stories, man. But 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 being again, being in New York, being uh, you know, with the the popularity of the show, um, you know, I'm you know, I I I, I literally grew up in the hip hop culture. Like I'm growing up with these cats. Like I'm, you know, I'm 14, 15 years old at Latin Quarter, uh, mm -hmm. having no business, to, you know, being in there, but I'm in there, I'm in there rocking, right? Um, you know, I, in 85, 86, I hosted uh, Saturday Night Live. Yep. And as the host, I got to, you know, have say over who the musical guest was. I was like, I want to run DMC. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so like it was a, um, and and I know I've told the story before on, on another show, but but you know a, another great moment for me was you know we're uh, I'm we're at, at SNL, I'm um, rehearsing my opening monologue, right? Run DMC comes in uh, for rehearsal, and part of my monologue was about me learning how to do the walk, Ooh. right? So Same part of it was like LL and Doodle. Yeah. So it's like Dana Carvey. So the funny thing, you know, the, the the bit of it is Dana Carvey is, is teaching me how to do the rock, the, the wop. But you know, uh, I had the SNL band play 
the music we used was uh, Eric B. and Rakim's My Melody. Mm. So I'm rehearsing <laughs> and, you know, we finished the bit and Run looks at Daryl. He's like, yo, D, yo, you hear that? Yo, they playing my melody. And Run looks at me. He's like, yo, you did that? I was like, yeah. He was like, <laughs> you know, and I'm 15. So to get that, oh. get that look from Run, it's like, ah. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's a crazy validation. For yourself being an artist, and I see you got the guitars in the back. And can you please just elaborate? Because you said people try to put you in a box. Are you neo soul? Are you jazz? Like, please talk to us about you as an artist. Yeah, um, you know, I, I've been in a uh, you know very unique position in that uh, the music for me, um, you know, you know, has has never been like a an income generating. Uh, vehicle for me so like I've never been signed to a record label um, like at one point I had uh, you know I had interest from a record label they were going to give me a uh, a demo budget you know to do like three demos and you know then when I, then I got with the record attorney he was like well they're going to give you you know five thousand dollars to do three songs and they own the songs you could do that yourself Right. You're like, wait a minute, let me show y'all one of these syndicates. <laughs> <Hey, hold> on. <laughs> so once you put me on that, I was like, oh, right. Um, and again, you know, because I was not, you know, uh, you know, my dream was like not to be, you know, this number one recording artist. It was like, oh, well, here's an opportunity to uh, do my music um, unencumbered by some record executive's idea of what is good. Right. Um, not having a label dictate to me what my music should sound like, um, what kind of lyrics um, I write. Uh, so the music has always allowed me to be uh, as honest uh, and as unabashedly passionate about whatever it is that I want to speak on. Mm -hmm. So it's and, and because I don't have a never had a record label to try to put me in a box so they could sell records and have it in the you know, a particular section of the record store back when we had record stores, wow. uh, you know, it's always been a real uh, personal journey for me. Uh, so I think now when people hear that, you know, that like I do poetry and whatnot, one, I'm very clear that uh, I'm not a celebrity who likes to do poetry. I, no I'm doubt. A, you know, I'm a poet and I've got to, no you know, I, I, I suppose the Langston Hughes growing up, you better ask about right. Like, right. <laughs> right. from the get, like I was a poet before I was an actor. Um, and because, um, again, because I don't have ties to a record label, I don't have a budget that I have to recoup. Uh, I really get to be in my own lane. Uh, and, you know, I just released my, uh, I released my fourth album uh, called Hiding and Playing View in, in September, and it was nominated for a Grammy, uh, yes. you know, this past year. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, uh, that was so, not that I was doing it for the validation, but it was so validating because that whole record, Hiding in Plain View, um, is a record that is, uh, you know, I say that, that's a record for us. You know, it's a record for black boys, uh, yes. for black men, for black people for non-Black people who have the foresight to see that our self-healing yes. uh, 
can be an invitation for them to explore their own self-healing. Correct. Right. So to be able to do a record like that, um, you know, and, and be able to uh, talk as freely as I do about, uh, you know, where we are as a culture, um, you know, what's holding us back as a culture, where we can go as a culture, mm-hmm. uh, being able to, uh, you know, inject self-love with, uh, you know, a, a, a plea of, you know, a plea for awareness of what it is we're doing. Because, you know, we talk about hip hop and we talk about, um, you know, and again, because we, we talk about being in that golden era of hip hop and we look at hip hop now where hip hop is has become a celebration of black death. It's become a celebration of misogyny. It's become a celebration of drugs. It's become a celebration of self-hatred. Um, and, you know, in the midst of all of that, to be able to, uh, you know, talk about my love-hate relationship with hip hop, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to be able to, um, you know, and, and, you know, to, to be able to, uh, you know, I know Mr. Cosby got himself in a lot of trouble with, you know, his views on the state of, you know, our young culture. But, you know, I knew what he was trying, I knew what he was trying to do. I knew what he was trying to say. So, so to be able to even uh, address those messages, but, you know, in a loving way, because this is about us, like I'm still part of the hip hop culture. No doubt. I still have this, again, this love-hate relationship with this music I love, but you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's messages are, you know, really uh, having a, a negative effect on the psyche of our young people. Yes. And we are what we digest. And that's why I love the title hiding in plain view and what ends up happening. Yes. There are conscious artists that exist and their message of intellect that are being spewed. But however, the misogyny and the shooting and killing is what's being promoted. Yeah, man, yeah. Marketed. Yeah. Advertised. So that's why this self-healing journey that you've exposed that we need to hear more about is very refreshing. What kind of self-healing have you found for yourself on this journey? Mm -hmm. That's a great question, man. Um, You know, I've, the older I've gotten, I've been finding myself doing more meditation. Um, I have a, uh, I have an, uh, such a unicorn of a wife, uh, who I'm so thankful for, um, and a daughter who I'm so thankful for, who both keep me really present, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and keep me really centered. Um, and when I find myself kind of coming off of, you know, being centered, I'm reminded to, to meditate, right? Um, you know, I've been in, um, you know, I think, it, I think every relationship that I've been in, uh, between hurting and being hurt, mm. uh, you know, I find myself in the marriage that is a culmination of all of that, you know, mm. being, being in a place where I'm being treated the way I deserve to be treated. Um, but also at the same time, being in a place where, uh, where I continue to work on myself to make sure I'm still the person who deserves to be treated the way I'm no being treated. No, no, no question. Not that I'm the guy, I'm the king, I'm the breadwinner, so bow down to me. Right, right, man. Yeah, 
Yeah, so it's a really beautiful, I'm in a really beautiful place, uh, you know, career-wise, but also, uh, you know, and in some ways, more importantly, uh, in my personal life. That's well said. And again, I'm grateful that you're taking the time, Malcolm Jamal Warner. But before I let you get out of here, I got a rapid-fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this? Yeah, let's go. As we mentioned, The Cosby Show made a huge impact on culture as a whole and entertainment forever. What is one of your favorite scenes from the show? Man, okay, one of my favorite scenes is, um, I gotta say the, the very first episode, the Monopoly money, when Theo was getting beat <laughs> for school, right? And Theo gives this, this dope speech about, you know, look, you know, I don't wanna be a doctor like you or a lawyer like mom, like I just wanna be regular people, right? It's cool <laughs> I get beat in school. Why can't you just love me for me, right? And you know, it's, it's a great speech. The audience applauds and everything. And then Cliff looks at Theo like, Theo, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. <laughs> man, man, uh, still uh, one of my favorite That, that was one of those like, uh, when, when Mob D said, I'm gonna be in the projects forever. And we was like, oh no, dog, no, you're not. No, no. You wanna yeah. make it out of the projects. <laughs> That's the goal. And last, but certainly not least, if you could tell your younger self anything, what would it be? It's okay for people not to like you. Mm, Word up. Word up. I needed to learn that too. Yeah. Yeah, it takes some time to like really learn that and know that and be okay with it. Be okay. And you don't even know why they don't like you. They might not like you because of your height, your weight, your skin, where you're from. You don't or have to do anything, your beard, anything. And so, or, or something that has nothing to do with you. Correct. And, you know, and, and part, part of that acceptance was, was realizing, wait a minute, it's a lot of folks I don't <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> and so and, and even some people i may not even be able to to put my finger on it yeah there just may be something i don't so then so then i have to allow well you know what i'm sure i'm that for some people and mm-hmm. it's okay because the people i don't like uh people i may not like uh my not liking some people has no effect on their journey correct so people who don't like me don't have much of an effect on my journey and they are allowed to like what they like. Like, in fact, I have a song on, on the Hiding in Plain View album. I have a song called Dope. Um, and Dope is really- uh, Give us a little bit of it. Give us a little bit of it. Ah, ah, ah. Give us a little bit of it. We try, we're here to inspire. Okay, so you know what? I could be in, uh, I could be in full bloom in a room full of fans who I prefer to call friends. And I would gravitate to the odd one on the end who I know specifically came there to hate. Mm. I mean, you don't have to be famous to relate, right? How much love in your life have you overlooked and taken for granted simply because you couldn't stand it that the one you want to love from the most didn't love you the way you hoped? It's like dope, mm. right? Addicted to what you can't have. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Much love and blessings. I'll see you in Atlanta. 
Come on, I'm man. For the show and represent. Yes, brother. No doubt. No doubt. Thanks, man. I'm glad we got to do this, Jay. Love is love. No doubt. Last call. Last call. I'd like to thank the intellect, my brother, Malcolm Jamal Warner, for stopping by the podcast. Be sure to check out his spoken word album, Hiding in Plain View. One thing that stuck out to me about Malcolm is how he uses his voice as a tool to express the way he feels about his proud blackness. He translates his feelings about his identity through his music and shares it with the world. I applaud him for reinventing himself and speaking life into our experiences the way he does. I learned so much from him in this interview. So I ask you this, how do you share your story to those around you? Is it through music? Is it through art? Is it through text? Is it through voicemail? Is it via social media, your fashion? However you express yourself, just remember, never let anyone, anyone dim your light. Make sure your voice is unapologetically heard. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.